talking all things training, sport performance, and business, and covering the most important topics to enhance your training and better your career. I'm your host, Jared Filippo, and this is Muscles and Management brought to you by Challenger Strength, where we build your body and your business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Muscles and Management podcast. I'm your host, Jared Filippo. Before we get started today, a couple of notes um, and items on the agenda for uh, the podcast. So the first thing is we have been officially submitted to iTunes pending review. So by the time this episode airs uh, Thursday, uh, it should be available on iTunes and the previous week's episode will be available as well. So it should make it a lot easier for you to have access to um, to you know view and, and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, that's a big note right there. Uh, I will post the, as always, I'll post a link for iTunes um, in my bio along with the weekly post uh, for each episode. And the episodes will also be available on Buzzsprout um, like they were last week. Uh, I don't know if that's easier for anybody, but just in case, it'll be there as well. So uh, there's that. Um, the second thing I want to bring up is submitting questions for future episodes for topic ideas. Um, any business or training questions anyone may have uh, that they would like to see either addressed in like a Q&A style episode or, uh, you know, I could kind of make the topic, a, you know, a whole episode in itself if it warrants that. Uh, please, you know, DM me, Twitter, Instagram, uh, email, whatever it is. Um, you know, I want to see what people would like to hear about and, and kind of questions that I can help answer uh, for anyone out there, whether you're a coach, athlete, uh, parent, future business owner, current business owner, whatever it may be. Uh, last thing on that note, uh, and this is because I've heard these are important for uh, exposure to the podcast, and I do want people to be able, you know, just to spread and, and get more uh, attention to help as many people as possible. Uh, like, share, and leave a review on iTunes. Um, you know, the more reviews and the more positive reviews that we get for the podcast will help expose it to more people widen the audience out and uh, I really think that we could do some great things here in terms of uh, helping people with business and training so please uh, take the time and do that if you enjoy the podcast I would really appreciate it so now that that is done uh, as I mentioned last week the topic of this week's episode will be fundamental movement patterns um basically trying to build a proper training base that can lead you throughout your athletic career, whether you're a coach trying to program for your athletes or uh, a parent looking for the best training and trying to see what training is best for your young athlete or an athlete yourself. If you train yourself or are looking for a trainer, um, this is kind of an explanation on the type of things you're going to need to do to build uh, a proper training base that will take you uh, and just give you that foundation to get to the next step from there and, and make sure that you, you have a solid base before you progress to anything more advanced. Um, this brings me to, and, and forewarning, I'm about to rant a little bit, this brings me to something that's kind of, I wouldn't say aggravating me, but it's been something I've seen for a while, and it's, you know, even before when I was an athlete myself, and you see the social media, I think it's kind of brought more attention to it. Um you know, anything fancy kind of gets, you know, all the retweets and likes and all that kind of stuff and really has more attention brought to it. But the, the notion that training is only elite or a trainer is only high level, um, you know, if they do fancy things and people training with masks on their face and running on high speed treadmills and you have 11 year olds, nine year olds, 10 year olds, whatever age you want to put it, kids with 
zero training age or experience, um, you know, performing, you know, full out box jumps, their, their knees are collapsing, they're landing improperly. Um, you know, you see a lot of these speed schools with, with gigantic classes or, uh, even like quote unquote fancy trainers, golden feet, make your feet quicker. Um, you know, utilizing techniques and methods that not only may be ineffective as a whole, and I could get to that on a whole nother, you know, tangent and topic, but, uh, aren't necessary and, and aren't safe and aren't really needed for an athlete who has zero training age. Um, you know, you don't need to be, uh, performing, you know, jumps into sprints and, you know, uh, speed squats and, and speed jumps and, crazy fancy core exercises when you don't have a training age um and what i mean by that is training age identifies you know how long you've spent training so this could you know not only be for the nine or ten year old it could be for the 15 year old who's never trained a day in their life before um and and you're throwing all this stuff at them and they're doing all these quote-unquote quick feet drills and and you know guys are running on high-speed treadmills like i said uh, fancy sprint starting types, and, and kids can't even properly squat, do a push-up, uh, and I'm starting to, to name off some of these movement patterns that we're going to discuss uh, on this episode, but they're doing these things that they don't even have a base for, and not only one can they get hurt, but it's it's ineffective, and it's going to be, it's going to get to a point where you're setting up young athletes or, or athletes who haven't trained before with improper movement, due to the fact that they they haven't progressed from the basics to be able to kind of build that base to to allow them to move properly and what you do is you create dysfunction and i've used this analogy before but excuse me with elite athletes i'm sorry not elite athletes with uh youth athletes look at their nervous system the nervous system as we know controls all movement um it's the base of all movement how our body performs and works it's think of pouring concrete you just poured concrete it's it's wet it's movable it's quote-unquote malleable it could be um adjusted think of your youth athlete with no training age as that concrete and it's just poured you could adjust it you can make adaptations to it and you can really set it um to the positions you would like that will allow them you know allow it to be uh in the proper position to support whatever you put on top of it when we take athletes and we don't properly set them in the right position we don't set the concrete where it's supposed to be and where we want it and where it needs to be uh, to, to make it an adequate base. What happens is that concrete hardens and the athlete ages and develops. And when the concrete hardens, it's it's almost impossible to get them moving efficiently uh, and in a way that, you know, keeps them healthy and makes them as you know productive as possible without just totally breaking up that concrete and starting from the beginning. So what you're doing is you're building a foundation that's, you know, not optimal. It's not, uh, you know, efficient, like I said. And it's going to end up just giving you headaches down the road. That 18-year-old who uh, has hip injuries constantly and can't stay healthy because they can't perform movement patterns with the proper hip rotation and et cetera. It's, you're going to have to stop them, go back to the basics, start over again. So. If we can take that athlete and mold them and, and kind of set them in place when they're still fresh, they're not hardened yet, quote unquote, um, it's going to go a long way. And to cons- constantly see the idea that, you know, and I'm not going to say this for all parents or all coaches or all kids or all athletes, but a lot of them have this notion that 
training has to be fancy. It has to have, you know, crazy complex movements and, you know, ridiculous resisted jumps and resisted sprints. And, and those things are great. But I'm not going to give those or prescribe those to a program for an athlete until they can adequately show me that they can hold position stability, show the you know proper mobility through full ranges of motion for the six uh, or for the technically five, but I include uh, the core in there. It's core stability in there as well in the beginning. Um, if they can't show proficiency in those things, then I, I can't give them those more advanced uh, progressions of those movements. Uh, I'm not going to have an athlete do two jumps or three jumps or four jumps in a row and then do a sprint. Um, I'm not going to have them do, you know, full tilt box jumps, box jumps with weights in their hands, etc. until they can perform those movements uh, properly. And it, these people just fall in love with this idea that you have to do these crazy things uh, in order to be to, to have be good, uh, a good trainer or have a good program. And it's just it's false. It's it's flat out false. There's no other way to put it. Um, you know, another analogy that I like to say is if not building that base, you just, you're a builder, you're a contractor, you're building a house, uh, for a pair of people and they're pushing, you need to develop fast, 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 right? So the average house takes six months to build. They want their house in three months. Sound familiar to that guy, that, that parent that wants their 12 year old to turn 18 tomorrow and they want you to get them there right away. Yeah. So you tell him, push, push, push. We're not going to be happy with your work unless our house is ready to go in, in three months, two months, three months instead of six. So he frames your house, and the foundation has been laid poorly. It was rushed. It was thrown together. And great. You build the house. It looks great. It looks really good from the outside. You're happy with it. It's the fanciest house in the whole neighborhood. And then guess what? First storm comes in in the fall. It gets a little rainy. Your roof starts to fall apart, and then the wind comes in. And the wind totally knocks your house over. And now what do you have? No house. You have an injured athlete, an athlete's on the sideline. They can't play. The person, your neighbor, who let their builder take six months, they got a house. They put their lawn in. The flowers are starting to grow. And they're living, and they're doing just fine. There's no cracks in the foundation. The roof isn't caving in. There's no leaks. Year after year, month after month, building upon that positive foundation with proper movement and the basics they have a house that works for them and they have a house they can live in and more importantly they're not always having to fix it they didn't have to tear any walls down they didn't have to rebuild anything it was built right from the beginning and now they add all the extra touches to it they add the speed squats they add the fast jumps they add all the fancy med ball throws they add the fancy sprint work get the picture build a foundation that can lead you down the road to your higher level of training once you do that we can build the ultimate athlete so moving on from my rant now um, I actually want to get into the actual movement patterns themselves uh, what they are and kind of how we can build them and, and some tips on that so uh, before I get into that, I want to just say, if you uh, hear any hockey action in the background, uh, my apologies on that. I am filming uh, from my facility, and it overlooks a hockey rink. So anybody who knows me knows the deal with that. But uh, if you hear any whistles or pucks, uh, guys getting slammed into the boards or anything like that, you know where that's coming from. Hopefully it won't be too uh, too noticeable. So the fundamental movement patterns. So 
if you look, if you were to like Google this, um, and I, and I kind of just did cause I wanted to see what would come up and what people might see if they kind of looked further uh, into this after they listened to the podcast. And the first thing I noticed is that, uh, some guys are listing six, some guys are listing seven, some sites are, you know, have a whole different look on it with balance in there and all this kind of stuff. Um, putting my own kind of touch and spin on this, uh, we're going to look at and keep it simple. We are looking at a push, a pull, a squat, a lunge, and a hinge. So if you want to kind of jot those down, um, push, pull, squat, lunge, and a hinge. I like to personally, and I'm not even really going to call these separate movements themselves and add them to the list, but just something we're going to touch on as we go, um, talking basic jumping and basic core exercises. So uh, those are going to need a base to be built around them as well. So I, I like to add those in there as like they kind of cover an entire full body template, let's say, if that's how you were to go about, uh, you know, programming. So let's take a look at how we build each movement through a full range of motion. Um, you know, obviously, new athlete, minimal training age, or any, anybody really who has trouble performing these movements uh, with, you know, proper form, proper uh, stability and mobility through the entire range of motion. Uh, this is kind of how you can go about it. So first things first, I'm um, going to men- mention and basically get into the strength curve. So uh, the strength curve basically tells us that, and, and you know, not only does it, this tell us that, you know, our practical applications in exercising tell us that as well, that we are stronger eccentric. So think of the negative. So like descending into a squat, going down into a push up. Um, you know, if you're hanging from a, a pull-up bar doing a, a chin-up, let's just say, and you're on the way down, that is the eccentric. And isometric is basically um, the held position of muscular contraction. So, again, like if you did a pull-up and you kind of like had someone help you get up to the bar, uh, let's just say you couldn't do a pull-up at all. You could probably, not even probably, most people can still pull themselves up if they were assisted and hold and not let themselves come down from the bar a lot easier and before they're able to do an actual pull-up. So we are stronger in those two positions um, in, a, in a movement pattern than we are on the concentric, which is you know, coming up from a squat, uh, pushing up in a push-up, pulling up to the pull-up bar. Uh, you can kind of see where I'm going with this. So a good example that I like to use, um, another example, and I use the pull-up example too, uh, my guy Joe DeFranco uses this example um, you may be able to put 500 pounds on your back with a bar and like stand there with it, but you're not going to be able to squat it most likely. So like, there you go. You're stronger just holding it, but you know, squatting it and moving back up with it are a completely different story. So this brings me to my, you know, two easiest ways to, uh, build, um, your movement patterns. So if you take somebody who has zero ability to do a push up, pull up, squat, whatever it may be. Eccentrics, so negatives, and isometrics or holds are like two of the best ways to go about doing that. And the reason being is if you're not able to do the full range of motion, you'll be able to probably do something along the lines with those either of those two things. So if you can't do a, a full pull-up, you can you know have yourself guided up to the bar and then just kind of slowly control yourself on the way down. And what happens is you're able to do it so you're able to kind of use that to start and you can build strength for the entire movement and the muscles that are involved in supporting that movement condition your nervous system all those good things 
with just the negative or, uh, you know, an example of a lot of guys with pull-up progressions that I have them do is they'll, you know, hey, five seconds, control yourself down from the bar, five, four, three, and as you're going down, the arms are extending, right? Or we have them pull themselves all the way up, chin above the bar, and they're just holding for as long as possible. Two very good ways to add um, strength to the, in the range of motion for a pull-up. Push-up, you can do the same thing. Set yourself up. Five, four, three, two, one. Or come down and hold tension on your arms and your chest right at the bottom and hold that for as long as possible. So eccentrics, isometrics, very important, very huge to build proficiency in your basic fundamental movements. So as I said, jumping and core training. So with jumping, the best way to kind of condition athletes to, you know, learn and and teach their tendons and ligaments to work the proper way with uh, plyometric training is implementation of pauses. So with jumps, you have two basic jumps, types of jumps. You have the extensive type of jump, lower intensity. Um, The extensive type of jump limits what's called the stretch shortening cycle. So in a plyometric movement, when the muscles rapidly um, contract, stretch, and then fire, stretch shortening cycle, extensive plyometrics for the beginner, uh, and they can be used, honestly, for guys early in the offseason too. I'm not going to get into that right now, but for a beginner purpose, they limit the use of that. And what they do is it's they're great because they can teach guys how to load. So what I like to do is we'll load a, a new athlete into a jump uh, stance and they'll rapidly and load as quick as they can to get used to the loading uh, phase as fast as possible. And then they're going to hold for a three, two, one. Nice long hold. And what that does is not only does it rid of the stretch shortening cycle, but it teaches them how to load into their muscles, how to come out of their muscles into the jump. Um, you know, someone once said, I think it was uh, Cameron Joss, he said, uh, you know, extensive jump training can be looked at as like hypertrophy for jumping. So just like really building the muscles in a less intense way. From there, you would obviously move to intensive jumps. Uh, this is like not pausing, loading down, coming back up as fast as possible. Once you build a base of teaching the athlete how to properly load and use their muscles and tendons the right way, uh, make sure they have no dysfunction, valgus, no cave of the knee, um, make sure their landing mechanics are solid. I like to tell everyone, land in good squat form. Uh, keep your chest up, not collapsing, um, not letting your uh, weight come up onto your toes, all that good stuff. So from there, as I also said, building the core. So I like to look at core training as separating rotational or core movements in multiple planes from basic core stability. So when I say core stability, I'm talking like the core's main um, responsibility for athletes or anybody in general is to stabilize the spine while the arms and leg extremities are moving, right? So to me, you need to build a base and proficiency with being able to support your spine with movement before we start adding rotation and all this crazy stuff. So a plank, a good old farmer's walk with control, even building it down as, as, as much as, um, breathing techniques. And I'm going to get into this a little bit later on in the podcast, but, um, teaching young athletes how to properly breathe, fill their diaphragm and, and all around their abdomen with air to support the spine properly bracing before you start having them do rotational throws and slams. And listen, I love those. We, I do them with everybody. 
especially my hockey and baseball guys. Obviously, with the hockey, uh, the shot is rotational. Throwing and swinging, obviously, are rotational. So I love them for that. But you need a base. You need that foundation. You need your core to be able to brace while the arms and legs are moving. And honestly, that core stability and that, the ability to support yourself is going to enhance all of your general movement patterns. So it's like the, it's the center of everything, your core. Shoulder to opposite hip. That entire center region of your body that controls all of your movement. Learn how to stabilize your spine and progress and be able to hold your movements properly. With that being said, uh, one more thing I wanted to touch on. Um, basically, like a nice little checkpoint list. Uh, just kind of ways you can, you know, go about lessening or, I'm sorry, progressing or regressing. So progressing, making something tougher or regressing, making something easier uh, in terms of the movement patterns. So you have your list of movements and let's think, let's think of the, let's think of it this way. You listed them from top to bottom. So on a piece of paper, you wrote them down uh, in order from top to bottom, whatever way you want to order them. To the right, you have all the ways to progress those, make them tougher, heavier, whatever it is. To the left, we have the all the ways to make regressions out of them to make them easier uh make them easier because you know the athlete may not have the strength needed uh to perform them you know through the full range of motion or at their you know uh true form so we mentioned that with the eccentrics and isometrics so a good list of ways to start so let's just start we mentioned eccentrics and isometrics but let's go uh range of motion right so range of motion is a great way to or to regress, or you can even make it uh, difficult with a progression, uh, a particular movement pattern. So I'll give you an example. A regression for a push might be a barbell push-up. So with a barbell push-up, the higher you are on an angle, let's just say. So let's say let's call the ground the bottom of uh, the angle. Your body is the uh, making – if you were standing straight up, you'd be perpendicular to the floor. You'd be a 90-degree angle. So – the higher and the bigger the angle is from you to the ground, the easier the push is. So we start a lot of people with barbell push-ups, take some of the pressure off in terms of lessening the load from if, you know, the more you're parallel to the floor, the more load you're pushing. And we use that to build strength in the push. So that's an example of a regression uh, with a range of motion. Tempo. The, the longer and slower a movement is, obviously the more taxing it is to your muscles. So, um, a, new, a beginner might not be able to do a 10-second, uh, let's quote-unquote, negative on a pull-up where they, you know, start up top and then they go 10, 9, 8, and they slowly, slowly, slowly extend. They might only be able to do 3 seconds, 2 seconds, whatever it may be. Um, so that is a way to progress or regress. So you add on time to make it more challenging and progress the movement, or you lessen the time to regress and build strength before you up it and make it more difficult. Another great one. Uh, it's obviously this is an easy one, but load. So I'm gonna keep, do the whole example here with a push up, right? We start someone on a uh, barbell push up. They finally build the strength. Uh, we lower, lower, lower the bar week by week by week. Next thing you know, they're ready. They're on the floor doing full push ups. Once they're doing these full push ups, they're gonna get enough proficiency with the movement that we can add a load to it. Whether it's a chain, a weight on their back, whatever it is. We added weight, we made it more difficult. We add weight to a pull-up. We put chains on the body, make the body heavier. We add weight to a squat, make it heavier. Another good way to progress uh, the movements. So basically, if you look at it, 
isometrics and eccentrics are your best friend when it comes to building uh, those movements. Um, remember the uh, positives and the use of a pause in jump training in terms of teaching athletes how to use their body the right way and load their ligaments and tendons properly. And when you look at the core, we always want to remember anti-rotational. You know, can the core stabilize itself while forces are pulling it, trying to make it rotate? Can it resist? Can we stabilize the spine while the extremities are moving? All those good things. Then, remember the keys to progress and regress uh, for regression for basic movements, right? Look at all of those things. Uh, We put them together and we use those and we can really build an effective program to make sure that our athletes are performing all of these main movement patterns with proper form through the entire range of motion. So now that you have a pretty good idea of the main ways we can build these uh, movement patterns and their importance, um, I wanted to finish up with a, a major tip or a, a kind of a, a cheat that you know I use uh, in the programming for our athletes that I've had some success with. So uh, starting with the push. So with the push-up, um, once you progress from a barbell push-up down to a uh, push-up on the floor, I like to use dumbbells in a neutral position, so top to bottom, not uh, so basically vertical not horizontal um it puts the the uh hands in a neutral position and what this does is it really forces good external rotation at the shoulder um you'll see a lot of a lot of athletes struggle you know with the push early on that they're uh not getting proper external rotation at the shoulder and limiting uh you know torque creation and putting their shoulders in healthy positions so the dumbbells kind of help. Uh, it'll drive the elbows in a little bit and kind of keep them honest uh, with that. And a cue I like to use is dropping the chest between the dumbbells. Um, forewarning, you'll see a lot of people, a lot of athletes, dip their face between the dumbbells. It's just easier. Uh, it requires less strength. So you really want to cue them to have a tight core, keep the butt flat, and uh, drop their chest down between the dumbbells, uh, keeping their elbows a little bit tighter, get the uh, good external rotation out of the shoulders. Uh, with the pull, and I kind of alluded to this already, this is a simple one, um, band assistance with pull-ups. So if, you, if you're starting with an athlete that really has very limited strength uh, with the pull-up, you could obviously start them um, under a barbell with like an inverted bodyweight row. That's like the most basic way to, to start them out and build some strength. But if you want to progress them to pull-ups right away and, and they really lack strength to even do uh, holds up at the bar or uh, – slow negatives down from the bar you can throw a band uh, across the rack and have them step on it and it's just a really good way to kind of get them moving at least Uh, excuse me and you can have them uh, gradually put less resistance on the band to make it less of a help for them um, and have them kind of work through eccentrics and isometrics that way so they can get started with that Uh, with the squat this is a good one so with a squat sometimes one of the major things that I see is uh, athletes come up off their heels their chest will fall forward and you know a lot of people say oh you know we want to regress that we want to make it easier for them uh we wouldn't use a weight actually the opposite is true in this case giving them a small load uh like in a goblet squat position a dumbbell in their hands putting that weight in the front of their body anteriorly um forces them to keep their chest upright and really get through their heels because if you don't uh you'll fall forward uh so it keeps them honest with that and then obviously pairing a box uh together with that is something we've found to be really effective. Not only lets them know how far down they should go, it's kind of a gauge, but it also, you know, sit back to the box, 
weight in front of you keeps the chest up. And one little last one that I like with that is thinking of the box as a scale. So the athlete wants to only put about half their weight on that scale so they're not sitting to the box. So you kind of get your your nice uh, sweet spot between falling forward and sitting back too much. For the hinge, another great one, um, using a wall. So problem is with the hinge, a lot of the time uh, setting up you know form for a proper deadlift, a lot of athletes will squat their hinge. They sit, they bend their knees too much, and they don't flex at the hips enough. Uh, using the wall is a really good cue because you can kind of force them, hey, get six, seven inches away from the wall. And getting into your hinge, you need to, you know, touch that wall with your butt. Make sure you're getting that proper hip flexion and pushing the hips back. And to go one step further, if you want to make sure that their back is neutral and their spine, uh, three points of contact, holding like a PVC pipe or a dowel rod uh, behind your back, making sure it's contacted with your head, uh, mid-back, T-spine, and uh, lower back. Uh, couple that with the wall and you could it's like it's almost hard to screw that up it's it's really good to kind of just force them into the position uh, to let them feel it and kind of get a hang of it Uh, with the lunge and this one I love uh, rear leg elevated squat so you're obviously making it a little bit easier um, with that because you're taking one leg out of it you're going to give them something to balance on a lot of people wouldn't even think of the rear leg elevated squat as something that's like a regression they would see it as being harder but what it does uh, it kind of like takes a little bit of uh, difficulty away in terms of having to balance and maintain the core. Um, so what you would want to do with that, and another thing I've had success with is using an ISO hold. So obviously, you know, someone who's lacking the strength, it might be tough to go up and down even with the uh, rear leg elevated. So we would have them get into rear leg elevated position and kind of get about halfway down, like a nice deep position, not all the way down to the floor. You want to keep tension on that front leg and just do ISO holds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, kind of build it up. And we can build strength in the range of motion in those legs by doing that. And then you can kind of progress to uh, negatives, three, two, one, down to the floor, stuff like that. And then eventually we take the leg off, and now you're doing a full split squat. And then you can work your way into a lunge, um, gradually just building the range of motion alongside of the core. Uh, with the core itself, we talked about stability, uh, breathing, 360-degree breathing is huge for that. Uh, make sure we're, you know, letting the athlete understand the importance of, uh, you know, pushing air into their uh, core and around their uh, diaphragm and spine. And um, doing so will really help them not only with, you know, all the movements, but in their sport in general, really learning how to breathe into their spine properly. Uh, with jumps, uh, a good way to look at jumps is, like I said, I mentioned this earlier, but pauses are huge to utilize for jumps. A pause can kind of separate the jump into pieces, uh, really emphasize a fast load before the pause, let the athlete feel that. Sometimes if they go in one speed and, and one motion through the jump, they don't really feel the load. So kind of have them load down fast, hold that pause, get the chest up nice and high, uh, and not uh, collapse, and then uh, count a three-second, three, two, one, hold, and then let them go. So pauses are huge for jumps. I mentioned that earlier. Uh so a couple things we're, we're about to finish up here. I just wanted to preview some stuff in the coming weeks. Um, really excited about this. We're going to be having uh, the Pitching Ninja. Uh, I don't know if some, I'm sure all the, a lot of the listeners that I have in the baseball community are familiar, but uh, one of the you know the uh, prominent Twitter accounts out there for uh, baseball. A lot of great content and information related to pitching. Um, you know, grips, sequencing. Um, you know locating training everything really he's he's become you know a really big uh, influence in the community with uh, young athletes and coaches and a lot of major leaguers even 
uh, interact with him. So I'm really excited to have him on. That should be in the next two to three weeks uh, into January. Over the next coming weeks, um, next week's topic is still up in the air. I'm, I'm taking questions and just seeing if anything kind of hits me. It's like a good topic to kind of cover for a whole podcast. Uh, so I will post throughout the week on uh, what next week's uh, show will cover. And the last thing, and this is important, if you could please subscribe, rate, and review. If you love the podcast, let me know. Uh, throw it up on iTunes. It, it's really you know helpful in terms of just getting this out there and, and getting it out to as many people as possible. Um, I recently, about a month ago, did a giveaway, uh, five winners, you know, once I got to 2,500 followers, we're going to pick five winners for some free apparel. Uh, those are picked. I'm going to tweet those out shortly. Uh, we will do another giveaway kind of coinciding with the podcast, uh, at, at, you know, in an attempt to, to get to 3000 followers, kind of a celebration and, and for that and to say thank you. So, uh, I will put all that stuff out on Twitter. Uh, Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. As always, DMs are open for questions for future episodes. And if you could just please throw a a rate and review and subscribe, that uh, that would be huge. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Muscles and Management Podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jerry DiFilippo, helping you build your body and your business.